This is Creating Windows, Not Bars, a monthly show on Justice Radio on WMPG with your hosts, Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Today, we are talking with Danielle Ward and Kayla Kalel about the challenges of maintaining relationships with children, family, and friends while incarcerated, and the reunification process for justice-impacted people after they return to their home communities. But first, a little bit about us. I'm Linda Small, a project coordinator with Maine Prisoner Advocacy Coalition and executive director of Reentry Sisters, an organization with a trauma-informed and gender approach to reentry. I'm Mackenzie Kelly, a recovery coach and peer mentor coordinator of Healthy Acadia and the program director of Reentry Sisters. For the past several months, we have worked together to provide support and community for justice-impacted women as they reunify with their families, look for work and housing, and complete their educational aspirations. Our show explores safety and community and asks what it's like for people to come home after serving time in prison. Today, we're talking about the challenges women face in transitioning from prison to becoming full-time parents again, reuniting with a significant other or beginning a new intimate relationship and what it's like to rebuild personal relationships upon release. Danielle and Kayla, please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what was the most difficult challenge you faced trying to maintain relationships while you were incarcerated. Let's begin with you, Danielle. Hi, I am Danielle Ward. Um, I served almost four years. Um, I am out on SCCP and doing really well. Um, when I was first um, incarcerated, I guess um, relationships, I had really good relationships with my family. Um, I'm a mom of three. Um, that bond was like unbreakable with my children. I was scared to lose that when I, when I became incarcerated and knowing that I was looking at serving six years. Okay, with this, with my children, obviously it was hard, that relationship, that mother-child relationship, because I wasn't there physically. I think that our, our relationship got stronger over time um, with them growing up and like accepting things or just being honest with me and um, me being honest with them um, and them understanding like, because I had um, an addiction for so long, um, the older girls, um, they were, they were definitely starting to be understanding, but it was good to have like in there, they offered like Zoom visits. So that was amazing during COVID because that was like, that was huge trying to, you know, stay connected within the relationship thing. Um, with the other relationships, um, like what I'm married. So that, that was, that was a hit or miss, I guess. So um, you go into like prison and I went into prison and I changed everything I could about myself and my ways. Um, I jumped into every opportunity that was given at the prison to change my life around. And that included um, staying um, off from the MAT program and just, you know, getting clean and engaging in all recovery type groups, um, schooling, recovery coaching, um, NA, all of that. So I became to like be a different person. And that, that was hard, I think, on my husband, because he wasn't in that place. So the relationship was pretty strained throughout time. Um, and we're still working on that now, like that I'm out, I'm, I'm in a different place. And we're kind of learning each other all over again. Um, but it's like a, it's a day by day thing. And um, like I said, it's a work in progress um, with the kids. 
um, it's amazing. Um, we're in a, they're at a different stage and they're older. So just having that relationship at a different age is, is so rewarding to like, you know, to go through each and every day, like being, spending with them, learning, learning about them again, because like I lost that for so long. Like I did, we stayed connected over the phone, which was amazing. And, and having that connection still where like they wait for me to call to ask permission for things that, that was awesome. You know, cause I was still mom and they still, you know, so that made me feel really good. But just now that they're older and just building that and just, and just seeing them grow and, and just, you know, just, just being grateful for being in their lives and having our relationships still very strong. Um, and with other family and friends, like it was hard. I lost a lot of, uh, I would say acquaintances, but it was very good for my recovery because that's not a part of my life anymore. And that's not who I am, but there was a, a couple, um, friends, childhood friends that I've stayed connected with. It's been very supportive. And since being out, I'm still, still spending time with them and connecting with them. And being in prison too, I made some amazing relationships. So I'm very, very blessed for that. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing, Danielle. Um, so Kayla, can you tell us a little bit about what your greatest relationship challenge was while you were incarcerated? And and let our audience know a little bit about who you are. Sure, um, so my name's Kayla. Um, I am a person in recovery and um, I recently got my bachelor's degree in interdis interdisciplinary studies, um, but my focus was on criminal justice reform. Um, and I got really passionate about that because, because of my experiences um, while I was incarcerated. Um, and I'm a birthing doula. So I work primarily um, with women that previously used drugs or are in recovery um, while they're um, pregnant, birthing, and then postpartum. Um, and I served three years. So like my for my situation, um, it was really wild because like I had, with, like when I got my charges, I was able to get out on bail um, for a short period of time before being sentenced. Um, and I had breakfast with my grandparents who were like a very big part of my life every Tuesday morning. Um, and so I was like sitting there with them on this specific Tuesday and I just couldn't stop crying because I knew, you know, this could very well be the last time that I was able to see them in person, you know? And like, um, my grandfather really just tried to like, you know, be his amazing self to help me through that he was just like hey put a smile on you know let's play cards and pretend this is like any other Tuesday you know um and that was that was the last time I saw him um he passed away I, four days before I was released um and so my family waited to do his funeral um until you know until I was released but that was incredibly difficult to um I mean to like first of all, just imagine that my mom was having to go through the loss of her, her father without me, you know? And like, that was the first like really intense life struggle that I had gone through essentially alone with regard to like, you know, being away from my family. Um, and I can, I can also relate to like a lot of what Danielle said, where like, um, when I was incarcerated, like I was just completely invested in, um, uh, doing as much as I could to better myself a big reason why I stayed in that relationship for as long as I did, um, it was an abusive relationship, um, is because I was so insecure, like 
because of the fact that I had been incarcerated. Um, and just knowing that he had also been incarcerated and he knew like what I was going through and he knew like how overwhelming it was when you get released. And like, you know, I, I really felt like there was very few people who were gonna know um, like what I was going through. Um, so that kept me, you know, basically stuck in a really sick situation. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Caleb, for sharing. And I'm so sorry to hear about your grandfather. Um, my dad passed away just weeks before my release. So I can empathize with the difficulty of trying to grieve while you're incarcerated and also feeling like you're not part of the grieving process there to support your family who are also feeling that loss. You're listening to Creating Windows, Not Bars, Justice Radio with Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Did you know that Maine abolished parole in 1976? Sentences got longer and prisons got overcrowded. Maine incarcerates more people per capita than most countries in the entire world. With LD-178, Maine can bring back parole for those who are rehabilitated and pose no risk. If a person doesn't meet that bar, they won't get parole. At $78,000 a year to keep a single person in prison, we can't afford not to bring back parole, which costs 10 to 12% of that. For more information, please check paroleformain.com. Today, we are talking with Danielle Ward and Kayla Kalel about the challenges formerly incarcerated women face when reuniting relationships after returning home from prison. What do relationships look like before incarceration? How do they change while inside? And what happens upon release? Um, I wonder if you might expand a little bit on, you know, you had this beautiful um, tradition of having breakfast every Tuesday with your grandparents. Did you notice a shift or change once you became incarcerated with that relationship with your grandparents if you, when you weren't physically present? Oh, definitely. Um, my, <clears throat> you know, my grandparents, on, you know, on Tuesday when I would go have breakfast with them, you know, they're older and very compromised in their health. So like I would go to them. Um, so when I became incarcerated, I was, I was two, you know, two and a half hours, th almost three hours from home. Um, so, you know, the, although I'm sure they wanted to come visit me, the idea, like the, the possibility, like the reality of that happening was, was slim to none, you know, they, it just wasn't, reasonable for them to be able to make it um and then my grandfather had hearing issues and very often like you know so I tried to to stay connected to them and, and call and stuff but like one thing I was incredibly grateful for and I'm sure you ladies can relate to this um you know mail when you're incarcerated is like one of the best best gifts and my grandmother wrote to me every single week so I could always count on getting a letter from her which which really meant so much to me so that type of stuff is like what gets us through, right? Like those, it's like you're you're basically in sometimes in like the, you know, hell essentially, you know, and and having you know getting mail from someone that you love or or just like being able to talk to somebody that you're incarcerated with in a very candid way and like feel connection. Um, that's what gets us through those moments, you know. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I can also say that, um, you know, empathize with your grandparents because 
when my folks came from across country to visit, um, they wouldn't let my dad have a cane and, and some of the other things that he needed to stay mobile. Um, and so, you know, one of the issues I've always had is that there's this idea that the folks who are incarcerated um, deserve to be treated a certain way or dehumanized. But then that seems to trickle over into our family members um, in other ways as well. You said something, Danielle, that really hit home for me. Um, you were talking about your relationship with your husband um, and called it hit or miss. So can you share with us a little bit about what your relationship was prior to incarceration and how incarceration changed that relationship and maybe even a little bit about post incarceration. Okay, so yeah, um, me and my husband um, actively used together for many, many years. So we had a very like, you know, we had a good relationship. It was never like abusive relationship. It was very like an open relationship and as good as you could get being an active use. We were like, you know, you know, parents of three amazing children. He fished a lot. Um, so I was kind of a single mom for a lot of the times because he was out on the boat, which, you know, <laughs> kind of make a joke. Maybe that's why our rela relationship lasted so long, <laughs> but um, cause it was kind of like a romance when he came in cause he was gone so much. So um, that probably helped a little bit. But besides that, um, well, when I went away and he had, in, in this relationship, um, he had gone to prison within our relationship. Um, so I, he knew, he knew exactly where I was going and what he had dealt with. Um, and, and, and he was, he was supportive, but he made a lot of bad choices while I was in. And while he had many chances to, you know, get his shit together, um, I feel like he just didn't try hard enough, which affected our children. And on the other end, I was making huge changes. You know, my children were so proud of me. Um, and, and I was continuing to make these and I was doing it for me. Um, first of all, because recovery comes first and you got to do it for yourself. Right. So I was, I was being very supportive, um, having a lot of, a lot of support, especially for my children. They were like, mom, you know, cause I would worry about them sometimes, you know, and like stress and, and, and to run, to, not to skip around a lot, but Kayla, when you were talking about the mail thing, I didn't get much mail from my children, but I can see why, because I mean, I called them so much on the phone that they really had nothing to <laughs> to write about and uh, one of them said that one time they're like mom why would I send you mail I have nothing to say because you call me three times a day and I'm like oh okay touche kids <laughs> so I was okay with that but when I did get it I was like oh but I did get pictures and that's a whole nother story watching your kids grow up in pictures so um but yeah to go back to the husband thing um yeah so I was growing and he was not um and I found him saying that he supported me a lot but then I found him being very defensive or kind of throwing things in my face when I was like doing, you know, accomplishing things and I'm a full-time student and I'm doing this and doing that. And then he would, you know, at times someone like, oh, good for you. You're changing the world or you're doing this and you're doing that, which was hurtful. But I think he was doing it because he was hurt because he's also said like, he wished he could be in my place where I've grown so much. And, and I totally understand it's harder to become clean outside in the real world. Instead of, you know what I mean? I had that time and that chance and the opportunity to clean, clean myself up and change my ways. 
I had friends were um, really close friends that would say, Danielle, don't pick up that phone <laughs> because they knew, they knew I would be crying next to my room or arguing with them. And I just, I learned, I had to let that go. I had to like, okay, like I can't allow you to take up space in my head. I can't let you interfere of what I'm doing. Um, so I learned to set boundaries with him over the phone and that was huge. And now I can say that now that I'm out, I have brought that with me because I set boundaries with him on the outside. But though if I see him in a place with like this distracting me at all, or he's being very selfish or the pulling the poor me thing, I have to back off. I, I, and I do, and I do really well with that. Um, and sometimes it's hard because, you know, I have those comments that he throws out to me and it kind of hurts, hurts me like in a way, like, Oh, am I being, am I being too negative, too distant with him? Like, is that okay? Like, am I not supporting him enough? But then I'm like, okay, I got to do me. Like I, I have to do me because that's going to interfere with my recovery. I'm not going to continue to be in the best version of myself. And that was going to be like a downfall. And I'm not going to be the best version of a mother for my children that they need and that they're so proud of right now. So yeah, um, boundaries is a huge thing, I think, right now. And that I've got a lot out of like being incarcerated and learning different coping skills and boundaries and, you know, with the relationship with the husband. So it's worked really well. And and then aside from that, um, I was struggling with the, well, I'm a I'm a felon. I'm a I'm a prisoner, you know, what kind of man is possibly gonna want me, you know, and, and I had that whole feeling of just defeat almost if you will like what could I possibly deserve right now and don't get me wrong I really felt like I had worked so hard on that you know feeling like I was deserving and and worth it and I had this huge sense of self-worth and um self-respect but when I got out on the streets it was like it was diminished real quickly because I, I was able to build myself so far up while I was in prison, but then it almost felt like I was like flat back on the ground as soon as I, you know, moved through my life on the outside. So then you have these parts where, you know, you're talking to somebody new and what, what do you divulge about your past? You know, do you yes. automatically go into the, well, I was in prison. I, you know, I'm a, a person in long-term recovery, um, a, a woman who was formerly incarcerated. You can go through all these. Um, yeah, that makes for a pretty heavy first date, doesn't it? It does, right? Yeah, yeah. I told Already as it is, I judge myself on that. And it's hard for me not to. So then you're thinking, all right, somebody's not going to accept me for what I am or what I was. And if they do, what is that to say about them? And I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth, you know? Hey, I'm on SCCP. I'm on home confinement. I, I can only leave with permission. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. I mean, when we first started this conversation, um, Mackenzie, you said something about like how hard it is for for moms to be incarcerated and then to get out and like go right back to like full-time parenting um which obviously like is incredibly difficult but I just wanted to like also like add in there that unfortunately like 
for a lot of moms, like they don't, because of incarceration, like in the state of Maine, you can have your um, parental rights terminated just based on length of sentence. So like some moms, you know, don't even get to, like they get out and like, they have to like literally recreate and reimagine their lives like without their children, which is just completely gut-wrenching. Um, and I, I'm grateful that I wasn't a mom yet when I became incarcerated. Um, but my daughter's father um, has been incarcerated for the last two and a half years. Um, so I've been kind of on the other side of it where, you know, I'm watching my daughter, um, you know, grow up without her father. And it's, it's just so disheartening because we, it's like we punish the next generation based on, you know, mistakes or, or, you know, problems that their parents, um, their parents were responsible for, you know? So it's just, it's, it's really sad. It's like, we're, we're basically creating the next, like the next generation of brokenness when we like essentially punish kids because of something that their parents did, you know? Mm -hmm. um, no, I know you have another question to go get to Linda, but um, to kind of piggyback off that, like you said, Kayla, about like jumping into being a mom when you got home, for me, I knew I had to focus on me. So I made the choice to um, go to a sober house and transition back into my, my children's lives because that's going to be huge. Like, Because I still have to focus on me on the outside, my recovery, my schooling, everything that I already like, you know, engage in. I have to like, I can't let that go. And I knew for myself, if I just went home with my children, that it would be so easily to just push the meetings away or the schoolwork because my kids are going to want my full attention, right? Like, because they've missed out on four years of that. And I knew, I knew that it would have been so easily be like, yeah, that's okay. You know, I'm going to do this with my kids, but doing it this way, they know that like mom's still got to do mom, like mom's still got to take care of her needs to stay where, you know, in that good place in recovery. So they've been very understanding with that. And I think this is huge to do this because now I can bring that to um, with me, I could bring that with me home when that that transition happens to actually go from the sober house to home. So I think that's important, kind of taking you know taking that into consideration when leaving um, prison. Yeah, Th thank you both. I really enjoy the fact that you guys keep playing off one another and the conversation that we're having. Right? Um, there was something actually, Kayla, that you had said about punishing um by our mistakes right and i know that you both also said when you getting you know when you're incarcerated you just kind of jump in and, and do the most that you possibly can to change your life uh kayla can you maybe expound on a few things on how you coped or um like the coping mechanisms that uh, you and your family used in dealing with the separation from them? Yeah, um, I would say like the, uh, so my, like the thing that was most helpful for me was, um, was really just like making, like, you know, finding friendship with some of the women that I was incarcerated with, like some of the most like beautiful, intelligent, awe-inspiring people um are people that I met while I was in prison and I think like we basically just like 
and so many, like so many instances, we just like held each other up, you know? Um, and those relationships continued like even after getting released. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I would have done in so many situations. Like if I didn't have some of the women in there to like work out with, or I mean, just cry on, or, you know, sometimes like we didn't say anything, but just like being able to be in community and create space for one another was like, you know, what made all the difference in the world. I really love that you said that Kayla, because there's a reason why all of us are sitting in this meeting right now, you know, and we've really found community within the walls and then outside of the walls and making a difference, right? And knowing that we're here to lift one another up because that's important. It's hard being in prison and, you know, being cut off from our loved ones on the outside. We need to have and create a family on the inside. And I'm so privileged that it is carried to the outside. Yeah, that was that was beautiful, uh, Mackenzie, because I think our survival as women um, especially women who are system impacted is community and right and sharing collective knowledge and just having someone who gets it right so if you're having a hard day you have someone that you can call to speak to um, and they know exactly what you're talking about and can also share well this is how I got through that whether you're still incarcerated or you're you're post-incarcerated because what I find in re-entry is that's that's where some of our greatest challenges begin is once you leave um, incarceration. But I also think like building that those relationships in prison. Um, like I was very like hesitant, like on like really building relationships. But when you find those people, you're like, wow, these are going to be lifelong friends because you just you get to know somebody, which is huge when you're in such a good place. And like, you know, for so many of us are like clean from our addiction. So they actually you get to know these people and they get to know you the real you. You know, because these people that I had these connections and the relationships on the outside, like I said, they were acquaintances. So they only knew what I was showing them or seeing a part of me that really wasn't me. You know what I mean? So these people know the real me and, and just that connection with them is huge. And I'm just so grateful for the family that, you know, I gained on the inside. Yeah, that's an awesome way to look at it, because I think you know, we, we create these families out of necessity while we're incarcerated, but then they become far more than that, right? Mm -hmm. Become our, our best supporters and our best cheerleaders. And um, I've gotten to know some really powerful women who, who are leaders in the community now, which is saying something. And I think we've all bloomed under um, adversity and it's such a beautiful thing um, to see. Yeah, thank you both for sharing that. I really appreciate you both for being here um, and sharing your experiences with reuniting with your families and what that uh, process looked for looked like for you before, during, and after. In coming shows, we'll explore public safety, the unique stigma justice impacted women's face, and the experiences and struggles of returning citizens to create meaningful and productive lives. 
Next week, please join Representative Charlotte Warren and Zoe Bocas on Justice Radio to learn what can be done to redefine and reimagine equity, restoration, and justice through legislative action. Visit the Justice Radio Show page on WMPG.org for archived episodes aired on WMPG and WERU.